Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Let's start by thanking our Patreon subscribers from this past week. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And this week we had Jennifer, Amanda, Megan, Lauren, Nicole, Whitney, Jessica, Lisa, Kimberly, Heather, Kelsey, Emma, Stacy, Edward, Rache, Kanya, William, Hannah, and Victoria. Thank you, guys. Thank I almost you. said, thanks, fellas. <laughs> I like that. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, fellas. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Melon. What, um, a, what an air hog. So <laughs> this, <laughs> this episode... <laughs> here, it, it begins. Okay. This episode has been a long... Okay, I've Sorry. Just Sorry, we had to stop the show... Because Melon is trying to upstage us. Yeah. It won't stop. Like I was trying to say before, Melon, this episode or series of episodes has been a long time coming. Desi and I discussed doing this topic, I would say, at least two years ago. Really? Oh I don't God. know. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And <laughs> finally, <laughs> I feel like we were going to do it on the anniversary, maybe in like April. Okay. But then we just decided... No, we're going to do it in December. Okay. It's and because we we justified that by saying, "Oh, well, it's the anniversary of the month that the movie came out." Yeah. So it's this not is, a very uh big anniversary. <laughs> no, it's the tw- now this is now I believe the 24th anniversary yeah. of the Titanic movie coming out. Yeah. I think so. That's 97. I believe it was from what I remember it came out in December of 97. It came out in December. I I'm remember sure, that. I'm sure when you do your episode, we'll have the exact date. We'll have the exact <laughs> date for you. Uh so, yes. We this is a movie versus reality multi-part episode on Titanic and our multi-part series will end with Desi doing an episode about the making of the movie, the 1997 movie Titanic, which has, has a, a lot of wild stories. Has a lot of real interesting stories. Uh, I yeah. I hope you enjoy this episode. I used several different books for my sources. The first book is called on a Sea of Glass, The Life and Loss of the RMS Titanic by J. Kent Layton, Tad Fitch, and Bill Wormstedt. The other book I read was called Last Dinner on the Titanic by Rich Rick Archbold. And another book I read was called The Last Night on the Titanic, Unsinkable Drinking, Dining, and Style by Veronica Hink. And the fourth book I read this week was The Ship of Dreams, The Sinking of the Titanic, and The End of the Edwardian Era by Gareth Russell. Wow. Did you read all four of those books? I have been reading them for several weeks. Oh, my God. So, look, researching the Titanic and everything sort of involved in this world is like... It just every like every time you get to a new pocket of information, it spirals out like a fractal. Yeah. So it's it, it was a lot of research. Yeah. Uh, but in this episode, we're mainly going to be talking about the construction and the history of the Titanic, as well as we'll get into some uh, fun stuff with the food that they were eating on the Titanic. Okay. So. There will be more to come. Please do not email me and say a lot. I left information out. That information is is probably coming. Yeah, in the next episodes. Wow, <laughs> I'm very nervous. Yeah, don't be nervous. I'm nervous this week. Okay, okay. In the mid 1800s, the two biggest steamship lines in Britain were the Cunard Line and the White Star Line. The name White Star was originally used for a company whose ships engaged in trade between the UK and Australia, but by the 1860s, the company went bankrupt and was bought by Thomas Henry Ismay. In the late 19th century, there was a great desire between European shipping lines to have the fastest and largest steamships. 
Not only was the White Star Line in direct competition with fellow British shipping line Cunard, they were also competing with the German ships, which at the time were known for being just excellent. Yeah. Very fast, very big. And the British ship lines were like, we want to, that's our competition. When Thomas Ismay died in 1899, the White Star Line was passed on to his son, Joseph Bruce Ismay. He was known as Bruce, and that is what we will be referring to him as in these episodes. When J.P. Morgan bought out the White Star Line in 1902 and and it became part of the International Mercantile Marine Company, Bruce Ismay remained at the helm, and he was determined to continue his father's legacy of producing the fastest, largest, best ships in Britain and the world. Of course, the Cunard line was still churning out remarkable ships, notably with the launches of the Lusitania and the Mauritania in 1906. The Lusitania was a gargantuan 787 feet long and weighed 30,000 tons. The Mauritania would be even bigger. Both ships boasted luxurious accommodations for its passengers. Bruce Ismay had his work cut out for him if he wanted to surpass the Cunard ships in speed, size, and luxury. Now, legend has it that in 1907, at the dinner party of Lord Peary, Bruce came up with the plans for his dream ships. Lord Peary owned the Harland and Wolfe Shipbuilding Company in Belfast, Ireland. While the idea that Bruce came up with the idea for his ships, the Olympic and the Titanic, from this brandy-soaked dinner with Lord Peary uh, is, is a romantic idea, it's not exactly accurate. Records show that Ismay's next venture with Harland and Wolfe had already been in the works. The next few years were spent building Ismay's remarkable ships. The Titanic and the Olympic were constructed at the same time, side by side, in the shipyard. The conditions the workers faced while building the ships were incredibly demanding and often dangerous. Many of the workers suffered from hearing loss from toiling in the shipyards amongst the ear-splitting heavy machinery. The work week was also demanding. They only had Sundays off. A typical workday started at 6 a.m. and ended at 5.30 p.m. with only a half hour for lunch. Saturday was their only short work day. Around 15,000 men built the two ships. When the construction was finished, both the Olympic and the Titanic bested the size of the Cunard ships by nearly 100 feet, coming in at 884 feet long. The size of the ships allowed for even better first-class accommodations than their competitors. In 1907, 34-year-old naval architect Thomas Andrews was employed by Harland and Wolfe as the managing director. Now, in the movie Titanic, he is portrayed by Victor Garber. Oh. Do you know the the character I'm talking about? Uh He was also the nephew of Lord Peary, but this was not a case of pure nepotism. Andrews was really well-respected in his field and considered a genius shipbuilder. He was known for his kindness and also for his work ethic. He spent countless days and nights tirelessly working during the construction of the ships, both in and out of the office. He was often seen at the shipyard lending a hand to the workers, pitching in with physical labor if they needed it. Though he was a wealthy man who married into a wealthy family, he was respected among the workers as he didn't treat them as beneath him. So I think his character in the movie... Like they portrayed him as a nice, as a yeah. nice man in the movie. He he was by all accounts like really well liked by pretty much everyone from every status. It yeah. seemed. His wife Helen described him as an incredibly humble man. He was not only a hard worker, but he was known as a good husband and father too. His daughter Elizabeth was born in 1910. Thomas Andrews had dozens of men working under him as the heads of various design departments. Francis Carruthers was employed by the British Board of Trade, and it was his job to oversee inspections of the ships to make sure that they met safety requirements. Even those with a rudimentary knowledge of the Titanic know that there was not enough lifeboats on this ship. Right. And some might ask, how the hell could that have happened? Uh, yeah. Like, why Seems would, like a no-brainer. Yeah. Why would you 
do something, especially in hindsight, that was such a big fuck up? Well, we'll get into that. The Titanic and her sister ship, the Olympic, were built with such care and attention to detail, not to mention the cutting edge of technology and countless safety inspections. So why was it that only 20 lifeboats were aboard each ship? The Merchant Shipping Act of 1894 required that British ships over 10,000 tons have 16 lifeboats. Now, the act didn't account for the fact that at the time, steamships were growing at an exponential rate. At the time of her completion, the Titanic weighed over 52,000 tons, which is obviously significantly bigger than 10,000 tons, and could hold a capacity of 3,500 passengers, including crew members. Because the Merchant Shipping Act hadn't been updated to reflect the need for ships of this size, legally the Titanic only had to carry 16 lifeboats. Oh. So so really it's up to them to have been like, well, we need more. Yes. But they weren't legally required. Correct. Yeah. We'll get into a little more of... Okay. Because it was brought up yeah. by people working on it. So Alexander Carlyle, one of the ship's designers who specialized in safety, went to Lord Peary with plans to outfit the Titanic with 64 lifeboats to accurately reflect the number of passengers that would be on board. Right. He designed a plan that would outfit the ship with davits that could carry up to four lifeboats each, totaling 64 on the ship. He also made plans for davits that would carry less, two to three lifeboats each, depending on how many lifeboats the Board of Trade insisted upon. But he did say we should have more than just 20. So Lord Peary met with Bruce Ismay in England in 1909 and had a meeting with him where the subject of outfitting the Titanic with new davits that could carry more lifeboats was brought up, but there was no decision made on whether or not to include more lifeboats themselves. They just discussed building the carriers for the lifeboats. Right, but there was no formal plan to have it done or implemented. Right. They were waiting to see what the Board of Trade required. The following year in 1910, there was another meeting to discuss the Davit situation, among many other things involving the construction of the Titanic. And by that time, the Board of Trade still had not updated the regulations. The decision was made at that point to simply install the new davits in case the lifeboat regulation was updated. Lord Peary and the other higher-ups at the Harland and Wolf shipyard didn't seem to press the issue either. Um, They didn't press it with Bruce Ismay or the White Star Line. Alexander Carlyle posited that they worried that a regulation for more lifeboats would require costly updates to all the ships. Right. In their fleet, not just the Titanic and the Olympic. And that would be really costly. Yeah. So if they update this, then we're going to have to like redo all of our ships. Right. In 1911, Carlisle, who was now working for the Merchant Shipping Advisory Committee, um, he said he did not believe that the Olympic and the Titanic had enough lifeboats. Ultimately, the Board of Trade, who was under advisory of the Merchant Shipping Committee, declined to update the requirement for lifeboats. So the final decision was reached in July of 1911, less than a year before the Titanic's maiden voyage. Bafflingly, Carlyle himself ended up signing off on the Merchant Shipping Advisory's report, even though he had told them previously, I don't think there's enough lifeboats. Right. But he did sign off on their final decision that it wasn't necessary. Uh, He later told people he had no idea why he did that. He said, quote, I am not generally soft, but I must say that I was soft on the day I signed that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I wonder if he felt really bad about that. Not that it was up to him solely, but... Right. But if he he didn't sign off on it, would would it have stopped them from moving forward? I don't think it would have. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I think the reality of this whole thing boils down to the fact that they didn't think it was going to sink. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and no ship had really up to that point, I think, that was outside of war, you know, situations. Yeah. So it was like, eh, they're just there for safety. We don't actually ever need to use them, right? Like, right. So, but yeah, clearly. Hindsight. Hindsight. Hindsight yeah. is definitely twenty twenty. When the Titanic left on her maiden voyage in April of 1912, 
she would be outfitted with 20 lifeboats. So they did add four more than needed. <laughs> they added four more than was required legally. Right. But obviously, <laughs> look, it was a nice how gesture. Many, how many do they hold? Each lifeboat? Yeah. It's like 67 or oh, something. Oh, wow. So they're pretty big. Yeah. Um, actually, I have it right here. Okay. So 14 of those lifeboats measured 30 feet by 9 feet with a carrying capacity of 65 people. Then there were two 25 feet by 7 feet boats with a capacity of 40 people. Mm-hmm. Then they had four collapsible boats that could carry a combined total of 188 people. Okay. So in total, the lifeboats aboard the Titanic could carry 1,178 people. Which is less than half of the passengers on board. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Desi, let's talk about some really fun shit. Okay. Let's talk about what was inside of the Titanic. Yeah. We're going to talk about the interiors and accommodations on the Titanic. One of the well, most well-known interior features on the ship is the first-class grand staircase. Yes. You, you can picture it. Yeah. You know, it was featured very prominently in the movie. Right. I believe uh, Jack told Rose to make it count. Yeah. Or something like that at, at, the, uh, at the staircase. Yes. Uh, James Cameron went to painstaking measures to make that look as accurate as possible. And I've seen like pictures of it. Right, side by side. He did a very good job. The staircase ran from its entrance on the boat deck, which was where the lifeboats were held, down to the E deck and was made from oak and wrought iron. It had two sets of stairs running up and down it and it was decorated with all these intricately carved designs. The top of the staircase was crowned with a glass dome and iron skylight that had electric lights that were turned on at night. Pretty. It was very pretty. Everything on the Titanic, save for uh, steerage, was very, like, ornate and beautiful. 
Not like cruises today. No. <laughs> <laughs> like this was actually very luxury. It was very luxurious. Yeah. And we will get into that in detail. So on the wall at the uppermost landing of the staircase was a clock embedded into a magnificent carved wooden frame that reflected the exact time on the ship, depending on its location. Ooh, cool. First-class passengers could enjoy a variety of amenities, such as the gymnasium. Ooh. They had, like, medicine balls. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what they had. Okay. I looked it up. The gymnasium had rowing machines. Of course. I feel like that's what Edwardian people, when I picture them working out. And they wore those out, loose tank top short outfits. Yes, that are, like, wool. <laughs> yeah. They're very heavy. Uh, they had stationary bicycles. Okay. I can only imagine those probably had the most uncomfortable seats. Yes. And electric camels. What? Electric camels. To me, when I saw a picture of this, it looked like like riding the bull at a bar. Ooh. And they're fitted with, elect- with uh, leather saddles. Did they have humps? Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I didn't notice any humps in the pictures that I saw of them. That's a camel. But that's but you have to have a hump if it's a camel, right? One or two. Wouldn't you just call it a horse otherwise? So it's basically an electrical bull. That's what it looked like to me. I right. don't know what the workout is though. Is it like a You gotta stay on, you gotta use your core. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is a workout that would make you horny, maybe. Yeah. Like if you if it's buzzing the right way. Or like if I was there, I'd be like Really putting on a show for all the guys in the gym. (laughs) Well, the unfortunate thing is you wouldn't have been able to do that because they had separate times that the men were allowed to be there and separate times for the women. So I'd have to go right at the end of the change and hope someone saw me. (laughs) That's a very good call. You have it all figured out. But yeah, you know what? I think that the reason they had separate times for men and women is because the electric camel rides made the men too horny. I would like to see the men on it too. Yeah, that could be yeah. hot. We don't know. We don't know. And their little suit. So <laughs> so the gym was open uh, from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. for men, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. for women, and 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. for kids. Kids? The kids went to the gym what apparently. What do they fucking get a time slot for? <laughs> That's a big time it's slot. It's like, uh, you know, the pools have times where it's like kid free. That's like that. Yeah. That's kind of nice. The gym employed a guy named Thomas McCauley, who was a personal trainer who offered guests instructions on how to use the machines. Wow. I bet he was giving instructions to the women on how to use those camels. Yeah, he's like, I'll show you how to do the camel hump. (laughs) (laughs) There was also a large indoor swimming pool, which was filled (gasps) with heated seawater. Ooh. There was a men's and women's changing room on either side. Behind the swimming pool were the Turkish baths and the electric baths. That sounds dangerous. Well, an electric bath was an early version of a tanning bed. Oh. Which also sounds dangerous, too. Yeah. That sounds really scary. Yeah. Uh, like, they still, like, aren't great for you today. No. But I can only imagine that these early turn-of-the-century yeah. tanning beds were probably, like, really bad for They're you. They're like skin cancer machines, probably. Like, uh, So they were these wooden things, like beds, with a green metal lid on the top of it, and they were outfitted with all these UV lamps inside. Ugh, my nightmare. So people would just get in there and fry. Ugh. Women could use these facilities from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., and the men could use them from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. I'm mad the men got a better time for me because I don't want to get up too early. I agree. On my cruise? (laughs) No. On G deck, there was a squash court. So you could play squash. Which one is that? With rackets? Yes. Okay. Up on A deck was the reading and writing room. This room was most commonly frequented by the first class women on board. It was a place to relax and they could write postcards. That's nice. Dear father, dear papa. (laughs) They had a post office on board the Titanic. What, did they use pigeons? Well... They didn't send them from the sea. Like a little dinghy rides up. Take it off. 
cock. <laughs> I honestly think this is, I think the purpose of the post office and writing postcards from the Titanic was solely so you could have something postmarked from the Titanic. Yeah. Because once you got to your destination... Then they send it to the then they send it to the real post office. Yes, so it's not like it's going to get there any faster. No, but you can be like, oh, it finally got there. I sent it four weeks ago. It's see, it's postmarked from the uh, Titanic. So it's just like a little bit of a gimmick. Also, you're going to the post office. It's like something to do on the cruise. Yeah, I mean, even though there was a lot of amenities for the first class passengers, at the end of the day, it's like 1912. They don't have TV. They don't have the internet. What There's else no can you do? Phones can't scroll. They had the Marconi <laughs> wireless machines, though. Oh, and we'll talk about those in episode okay. two more because that's a lot of technology. I like. I got really overwhelmed by. Yeah, but it I was would. like, look, but it's important. S O S S O S. Well, they was used for that, but it was also used. By passengers who just wanted to be like, I want to send my my beau a message. Right. Um, that was like a big deal. So uh, the post office did, there was like those pneumatic tubes. Ooh, I love those. Yeah. Those are cool as hell. I know. The reading and writing room boasted feminine details like pink carpet and pink curtains with ornate crown moldings against the white ceilings and walls. So it was this very girly pink and white room. For the ladies on board. Yeah. The 11-foot-tall windows looking looked out onto the promenade deck. Next to the reading and writing room was the lounge, which was an area where both men and women congregated. It was an impressive room decorated in a Louis XV style and inspired by the palace at Versailles. Ooh. Also located on A deck was the first-class smoking room, which was made exclusively for men. <gasps> This room was obviously decorated pretty butch. Yeah. I mean, look, it was still... Emerald, green, oak. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Very butch of the time. Right. And this room was open from 8.30 a.m. to 11.30 p.m., and it was where the first-class men gathered to drink, smoke cigars, and gamble. But women were allowed. No. Oh, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed in the smoking room. Oh, okay. So, Got it. Uh, behind the smoking room was the Veranda Cafe, a dining area decorated to look like an outdoor European cafe. It had stylish wicker and rattan furniture and ivy-covered co- trellises. Ooh. It sounds cute. Yeah. The Veranda Cafe was where you could go for drinks and a really light snack. It wasn't like a restaurant. It was more just like, I don't know, they probably had like nuts. Yeah. You know? What? So there's outdoor areas for these people to go to. Yes. The promenade. What is the weather like? It's cold, right? Yeah. I mean, it's April on the Atlantic. And it's extra windy, it's probably. probably um, yeah. really fucking windy. Yeah, and cold. I don't know. I've never been on a cruise before, but I imagine no matter where you are, it's probably windy outside, right? Yes, but I bet you it, it seems particularly would have been cold on that one for some reason. I agree. I mean, if there's icebergs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Desi. Eventually it gets real cold. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Sorry. So... The Veranda Cafe uh, was next to a similarly decorated Cafe Parisienne, which was a casual spot that was popular with Titanic's younger first-class passengers. And we're all still talking. These are all the first-class amenities that we've been talking about. The first-class reception room was located on D-deck and spanned the entire width of the ship. It featured a grand piano with an accompanying orchestra to entertain the guests. The reception room was where first-class passengers could have tea during the day or to congregate before a meal in the first-class dining saloon, which was located immediately next door. The dining saloon was massive. It could hold 500 people. It was 92 feet wide and 112 feet long and opulently decorated in Jacobean style. Unlike most ships at the time, the Titanic's chairs in the first class section were not bolted down to the floor. Oh. For some reason, this was like a very classy move. Okay. You could move the chairs. Yeah. I um, like that. 
Yeah. Because you know how when you go on like a ferry, yeah, everything's bolted down? Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but yeah. on a long time thing. I bet they regretted it when the ship started uh, <laughs> yeah. inverting and then everything just... Yeah. Yeah. Good point. They're getting crushed by these big chairs. <laughs> ah. So uh, these chairs were also padded and very comfortable. No expense was spared. One question I have is how did they keep passengers separated by class? Well, you weren't allowed to, like, I guess there was, like, stewards and shit who were, like, like they there were sections. Knew. But, like, what was stopping someone in second class from going to the Parisian cafe? Were people monitoring who was first class? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they had like stewards and shit. Yeah. And there were separate entrances that you had to present, that you would have to present a ticket at. to get in through. Yeah. Or like passes or IDs or something. Yeah. Maybe. So the chairs in the dining saloon, oh, I already said that. Okay, so let's talk about the menu for the first class dining saloon on April 14th, 1912. This menu was among one of the items that made it off of the ship after after it sank. Okay. Somebody had the foresight to take that Someone menu. Someone knew one day we were going to want to know what they ate. <laughs> What'd you eat? What'd you eat? Oh, are you okay? Are you okay? Wait, oh, no, that's horrible. Well, what did you eat? <laughs> what was your last meal? What was their last meal? Really? Uh... That sounds okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that damn. That'd be depressing. Whoever look, <laughs> this person. I like. I totally understand. They they knew. They knew. We were gonna want to know. Okay. So the menu for that night is multi course. The first course featured a variety of hors d'oeuvres and oysters. There was like thousands of oysters traveling aboard the Titanic. Did they die? <laughs> <laughs> The, the forgotten victim the, of the tragedy, the 30,000 oysters. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It just came into my, my head. Well, wait. Because they're living until they you still, eat them. They, they are, even when they're on the half shell, right? right? Oh, my God. Maybe they survive. Because they might be like, well, we're home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, the ship's going down, and they're like, just hold on, we're going yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oysters. They love their oysters. Yeah. These first class passengers. The second course was Consomme Olga. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> she was in the lower class. <laughs> yeah, she was a Russian immigrant, and they. She was in the steward They section. appropriated her consomme. Yeah. Uh, so, what, do we know what that is? Uh, I mean, consomme the, is typically broth. It's I broth. Mean, yeah. Uh, no one knows what consomme Olga is. But okay. The, some of the food historians have surmised that it must have been some kind of meat consomme yeah. or broth that might have been flavored with something vaguely Russian. Yeah. Dill, maybe? Yeah. Like, yeah. it had dill floating in yeah. it. There was also a cream of barley soup. Okay. For the, the for the second class? The second Se- class? No, second, oh. second, uh, second course. That's Sorry. Like, interesting, because I would prefer that in first. <laughs> third uh, third course. course is salmon with mousseline sauce and cucumber. Okay. The fourth is filet mignon lily, Ooh. chicken lyonnaise, mm. and vegetable marrow farsi. What's farsi? Well, I looked up what vegetable marrow was because I didn't know what that was. Yeah. It's basically a summer squash. Okay. It's like a cucumber, uh, not a cucumber, a zucchini. A zucchini. And it was stuffed. Okay. Possibly with a rice stuffing. Yeah. Fifth was lamb with mint sauce. Damn. Uh, this is what I would order. Roast duckling with applesauce. Ooh. I really love duck. I had um, the duck from Harmony when I was up mm. north. So good. Mm. I never think to order duck, but I actually really like it. I think it's my favorite meat. I don't. I don't know about that, but I haven't had it enough. I think. Yeah. To know. Do you know what I mean? Like I could eat a whole Peking duck. 
that's what I had. It was so good, like the smoked tea duck or whatever. Mm. It's so good. Mm. Sirloin of beef, chateau potatoes. Oh, I want those. Green peas, creamed carrots. Ooh, I've never had that. Boiled rice. No. And parmentier and boiled new potatoes. I had to look up what that was, and it's like a cottage pie. Oh. And now, is this an is this like a buffet style? No. So, but it's, are you getting all of these meats? Or are you para picking? You can pick. So you're picking so, one per course. So you can pick. Yeah, like oh, I'll have the lamb, or I'll have the roast duckling. Like yeah, but for each yeah for, for each, each one. So it's like the chicken or the beef, whatever. Yeah. Filet. So the sixth course was the palate cleanser, the punch romaine. So it was Ooh. basically an alcoholic sorbet. Yeah. That was like a granita. Yeah. Seventh is roasted squab and cress. Oh, man. There's also a cold asparagus vinaigrette, which was surmised to be some kind of cold asparagus salad. Also in the eighth course is pate de foie gras and celery. Hmm. Dessert. You have a choice of Waldorf pudding, peaches in chartreuse jelly, now, at the time, aspic was the height of class. Yeah. It's like a science dessert. Right. And it's beautiful looking. It's beautiful looking. Yeah. Chocolate and vanilla eclairs. Okay, I want those. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're picking your... I'm like, no, I don't want the peaches. No, not the I know, Waldorf I the pudding. <laughs> and, and French ice cream. Okay, that sounds good. Ice cream was also very fashionable. Well, I listened to a podcast recently where they talked about the history of ice cream. And it was very... Because um, there was no refrigeration. Right. So it was really hard to get ice cream. And it was like a luxury yes. initially. And I would imagine this was one of the first times it was served. Like yes. they were able to keep it cold. It was a new thing. It yeah. was a hot new trend. Yes. And now we just think of ice cream as like... It's yeah. so whatever. No, when I heard this history, I was like, this is so interesting to me because I never thought about that, that ice cream is a relatively new invention. And it was a luxury yeah. to be served at a restaurant. Totally. Because it meant... You, you ha- couldn't keep it in the home. Like No. Yeah. You had to have money to have a refrigerator. Yes. Or an icebox. Or an yeah. icebox. Now, the a la carte restaurant was located on the B deck above this restaurant, and this was open a little bit later than the main dining room, which closed at 11 p.m., this restaurant was like throughout the day if you wanted to like get some food. Get food, yeah. Yeah, it was less formal. It wasn't the formal whole big... I'd probably eat there a lot. Yeah, me too. And is all of this food included in the price? I believe so. Yeah. So, um, yes, because the a la carte restaurant, you could pay individually for these items. Oh. But you were offered a rebate at, I the, see. at the end of the trip. Okay. I don't know about the end of this trip. Imagine coming with your receipts. <laughs> I'd like a refund. That's the person who took the menu. They also had all their receipts for the cafe. She's like, and Look. add this to my settlement. Right. I'm serious. <laughs> I want my 424. I had mutton on yeah. this day. I'd like to be reimbursed for that. She's the first person who said, and I have receipts. <laughs> now, the... Restaurant, the a la carte restaurant was managed by Italian restaurateur Gaspar Antonio Pietro Gotti. Uh, he employed a lot of fabulous French and Italian chefs yeah. to cook for him. The a la carte restaurant was inspired by the Ritz Carlton restaurants that were aboard a German ship line. Now, Though the restaurant on the Titanic was not affiliated with the Ritz-Carlton, some passengers noted the similarities between the Titanic's a la carte restaurant and the restaurants on board these German ships. So this restaurant was referred to as, as a Ritz restaurant. Okay. The menu changed every day, and items could be purchased, as you guessed it, a la carte. Unlike the included meals in the main dining room, these menus are purchased separately, but like I said before, these passengers could be reimbursed with a re- rebate later. The kitchens aboard the Titanic employed the latest in cooking technology, including electric toasters and sorbet makers. Ooh. In total, there were five kitchens on board and 60 chefs, and, and including sous chefs. Yeah. 
The first class and second class meals were prepared in the same galley and had specific cooks and chefs for each task, including pastry chefs, sauce cooks, meat cooks, fish cooks, veggie cooks. They even had a kosher cook (gasps) for the Jewish passengers. The Titanic was really dedicated to providing its passengers with the best service possible. Even third-class accommodations, though they were significantly less nice than first- and second-class accommodations, were still considered very extravagant compared to other ships. Do you have a price for these tickets? Yes. Okay. We will talk about that. Following the Olympics' maiden voyage, Bruce Ismay made changes and improvements to the Titanic before her own maiden voyage. So the Olympic took off first. Okay. So... Like following that trip, he's like, okay, here's what I want to improve on the Titanic. Here's what I want to make better before she leaves uh, for the first time. He decided that Titanic was going to be the most luxurious ship in the world. One of the changes was made to the first class mattresses to make them less springy. Okay. Another feature the Titanic got was cigar holders in the first class bathrooms. So Ooh. there were like these little kind of minor things that were right. made, but then Ooh. there were also bigger changes. You need as a well. place to put my cigar when I piss. <laughs> yeah, why do you need a cigar? Are you taking a dump and smoking a cigar? I bet you because cigars take a long time to smoke. Right. But, but I don't know. But don't you have an ashtray for that? I guess you could leave it and then go. But do you need to keep the cigar going? Like if it's, will it just fall? Stop smoking. I hate cigars. I've I've puffed on a few in my Me lifetime, too. but I've never like smoked a cigar where I, from start to finish or something. As much as I love smoking, I mean, and I was a heavy cigarette smoker for years. Yeah. I I can't stand the smell of cigars. It's too sweet for me. Like it can make me nauseous. Yeah, uh, but yeah. But look, there was a lot of cigar smoking going on. Oh yeah, in first class on the Titanic. Another feature um, that was one of the biggest upgrades the Titanic got compared to her sister ship was the addition of two new first-class suites. Each came with their own private promenade deck that (gasps) measured 13 feet wide and 48 feet long. Damn. Each suite had three connecting cabins, two bedrooms, a living room, and a bathroom. Those are huge. A ticket for one of these suites, which were known as the parlor suites, costs $4,350. In today's dollars, that's $124,000. Damn. And how, was that per person or just for the whole thing? Per, per suite. Yeah. So how many people could fit in there? I mean, like, was it like a couple? Like, whatever. Like- I'm sh- well, I'll tell you who was in there. Okay. Melon, be quiet. J.P. Morgan bought one of the two suites, yeah. but he canceled his trip at the last minute. Wow. The other ticket was bought by Charlotte Drake Cardeza, who was a textile heiress from Philadelphia. Okay. First-class rooms were decorated in the latest opulent Edwardian styles with fresh flowers and plants in each room, fine fabrics, yeah. and, and those carved... <laughs> <laughs> and those carved woods, and it was... They yeah. were beautiful looking. Second class cabins were located in the middle of the ship. The second class dining saloon was pretty fancy as well, but a little less fancy and palatial than the first class. And they're basically interior. They're not on the outside. They're in the middle of the ship, like below first class. Oh, I see. So they're not the top. Yeah. Yeah. Still though, um, Compared to most ships, the second-class accommodations were more luxurious than those on other ships. Uh, Like most ships of the day, the second-class dining chairs were bolted down to the floor. Yeah. So that was one thing that made them a step down from first class. Second-class passengers did have their own men's smoking-only room. The second-class dinner menu from the last night on the Titanic, we have that. Oh. Somebody took that with them. And this is what they ate the last night. Consomme with tapioca. Okay. Baked haddock with sharp sauce. I don't want that. Does that that mean like spicy or like I think it means 
sharp, like um, like a sharp cheddar, that kind of flavor. No, with fish? Like a sour? I couldn't figure out what the fuck sharp sauce meant. I, I mean, should have looked it up. I don't know what it means. That was my guess. Like, that was what I thought, like a that kind of flavor. Not necessarily cheesy, but that kind but of sharp. bitter flavor. Yeah. Okay. Curried chicken with rice. That sounds good. Spring lamb with mint sauce. Mm-hmm. Roast turkey with cranberry sauce. Ooh. Green peas, pureed turnips, boiled rice, boiled and roast potatoes, plum pudding, wine jelly, coconut sandwich. Ooh. American ice cream. They don't get French ice cream. They get American. I wonder what the difference is. Is It doesn't have eggs in it. Okay. Assorted nuts, fruit, cheese biscuits. This sounds pretty good to me. It sounds great. Yeah. And coffee. Love it. Now, third class was a huge step down from second class. For one thing, it was not decorated glamorously. It was pretty utilitarian looking down there. Unlike the first-class passengers who were situated in the upper areas of the ship, down below in steerage, you could feel the bumps and rattles of the powerful ocean liner barreling through the sea much more acutely. The third-class rooms were located on the F and G decks. However, unlike most ships, third-class passengers on the Titanic were afforded semi-private cabins that housed up to 10 people instead of the usual third-class or steerage accommodations that were basically just a big room with a bunch of beds. Yeah. Titanic's 709 third-class passengers were comprised mostly of immigrants and and the working class. It was also not uncommon for third-class passengers aboard other ships of the day to bring their own food for the journey. So the fact that they were being served hot meals by a staff in third class right. was like very luxurious yeah. for for that class of and passenger. And did they have a little restaurant down there? Yes, or? They, yes yeah. they did. Um. You can only imagine had they had to bring like the people, third class passengers on other ships, the kind of boring provisions that they would have to bring. Oh yeah, they're eating like sandwiches or and whatever. hard tack, yeah. yeah, or whatever. Um, obviously, this was not the case for the third class passengers on the Titanic. They were afforded their own hot meals from the third class dining saloon. Kosher meals were also prov- provided for their Jewish passengers oh. in third class. Well, they probably had a lot of Jewish immigrants. Yes. Yeah. Third class breakfast consisted of oatmeal, smoked herring, jacket potatoes. Ooh. We've talked about yeah, those we before. Did. Bread and butter and other breakfast pastries. That sounds good. As well as tea and coffee. The dinner menu for the last night in the Titanic for third class passengers was vegetable soup, roasted pork with sage, peas, boiled potatoes, and plum pudding with biscuits for dessert. That sounds good. Yeah, it's a pretty solid meal. Yeah. Third class passengers had their own men's smoking room as well, but unlike the sumptuous rooms upstairs, this room contained a big bench and some basic-ass-looking tables and chairs. It was not like this plush leather... Study. Study. study, Those green-studded leather couches and shit. We're smoking in here. (laughs) (laughs) Theirs was just very basic. Yeah. There was a general room for both men and women that had an upright piano for passengers to play. Uh, it also had a bar. I assume this is where um, Jack and Rose yeah. did their little Irish jig. Yeah. It seemed fun down there. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure it got pretty lit down there yeah, in, in definitely. Steerage. As for the ship's first class passengers... It was a real who's who of Edwardian era celebrities. Okay. Now, we're going to get into these people a lot more in the subsequent episodes that we do. Right. But let's just talk about a a couple of the people that were on board before we end this episode. Now, the richest passenger on board was 47-year-old American business tycoon John Jacob Astor IV. Right. He was traveling with his 18-year-old second wife, Madeline. The Astor's trip aboard the Titanic was part of the final leg of their honeymoon. They had previously been traveling through Paris and Egypt. John was also referred to as Colonel Astor, as he had served as a colonel in the Spanish-American War. John had previously been married to American socialite Ava Lowey-Willing, 
Their marriage was not a good one, but John waited until his mother died to get divorced. Still, the split stunned those among New York society. More shocking, though, was when John Astor married 17-year-old Madeline Force in September of 1911. Yeah. John had met Madeline in the summer of 1911 in Bar Harbor, Maine, at a retreat for the very wealthy. They were married a month after their engagement, and this really ruffled some feathers. Well, there's quite an age difference. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, Though John's friends side-eyed the courtship and subsequent marriage, Madeline's parents actually encouraged the union. They're like, you're marrying an Astor. Yeah. This is very good for us. Get her in there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Madeline had previously been dating a man closer to her own age, 22-year-old William William Dick. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. What's wrong with me? (sighs) You know what? She could have been Madeline Dick. (laughs) Maddie Dick. That's a cute name. It's cute. Yeah. So Will Dick. <laughs> or Billy Dick. Ooh, that's cute. You could name your kid uh, William II, and you could call him Billy Dick. Billy Dick Jr. Billy Dick Jr. <laughs> that's, that could work. So, uh, obviously... She ended up marrying John Jacob Astor. This I don't I'm sure William Dick was rich in his own right, but he's not Astor. Yeah. Rich. Uh the marriage did create a bit of a scandal in their circle. Obviously, she was significantly younger and the ink was barely dry on his divorce papers. They decided the best thing for them to do would be to take a very long honeymoon to wait out the heat to die well, down. There certainly was another story that took precedence eventually. Yes. No one cared about their marriage. No, no. Uh, by the time John and Madeline Astor boarded the Titanic in April of 1912, Madeline discovered she was pregnant <gasps> with John's child. Another notable first class passenger was 50 year old American businessman Walter Donald Douglas. His dad founded Quaker Oats. Ooh, was he the guy? <laughs> he was the guy. <laughs> he was not the guy. Maybe. Who is that guy? I have no idea who that guy is. He's a Quaker. <laughs> is that like, honestly, I think I thought like it was Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> oh, totally. Is it Benjamin Franklin? I, no, it's not. Okay, but it looks like that type. But I agree. I think when I was like a kid, I was like, is that George Washington? Yeah, like, it looks like one that? of those guys. <laughs> is that a founding father? They all look like that. Yeah, they all have the long, puffy white hair. Their little fucking sailor, hat. that cat, that the triangle hat. Yeah, the triangle hat. It's a bad look. Ugh, it's a it, bad look. They're all so yeah. It's always weird when you see like a modern actor playing one of those roles, and it yeah. makes you realize how weird the look is. It's dumb. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. dumb as hell. They all have really long white hair. <laughs> yeah, like in ponytails and braids. It's very weird. I don't like it. American businessman and mining heir Benjamin Guggenheim was one of the other first-class passengers. He had been on vacation in the French Riviera and was traveling home to America with his longtime mistress, Leontine Aubert, who was a singer from Paris. Wanting to keep their affair a secret, Benjamin, who was married, got them separate rooms aboard the Titanic. Busted. (laughs) Some other famous first-class passengers, some of which we'll talk about more next week, include American silent film actress Dorothy Gibson, Isidore Strauss, who was the owner of Macy's, Ooh, Major Archibald Butt. He was, <laughs> he was, he was a very important guy. He was President Taft's military aide. I remember you, you like tweeted Look, that name I, a few weeks ago. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I was like, oh, I know what she's doing. Yeah, she's researching. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's from I was the Titanic. Re- I was like, a few weeks ago, I was like reading this book and it was like a major Archibald Butt. Like that is the most unfortunate <laughs> name I've ever heard in my life. That's like a name you're not supposed, people are supposed to say it and you're not, you're supposed to keep a straight face, you but you not. know, like no one did. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even then. <laughs> even then everyone's like, and he's like, like, no. He's like, I'm a decorated military yeah. advisor. Have you called Major Archibald Butt? <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone was cracking up. 
<laughs> Archie Butt. Yeah, Archie Butt. If your last name is Butt, you gotta be. You gotta laugh. <laughs> please, please write in if your last name is Butt. I would be happy, probably. I would be happy. If, I'd have to, if a you butt get to say to butt all the time. Oh, you'd be happy if your last name Desi Butt. <laughs> Desi Butt. I'm Desi Butt. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. <laughs> <laughs> trying to protract this Desi Butt. Why do I feel like you have to have one side of your head shaved to, to have Desi you, butt. Spe- you specifically? Yeah. Like you have to be kind of a. You have to look like. Um, <laughs> Like one of the kids from the Burger King Kids Club. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, I'm really tired. Right now. I'm getting there. Um. Uh. Okay. John B. Thayer was the vice president of the Philadelphia Railroad Company. He was on board, among many, many others. I'm telling you, this ship was like popping. This this is the age where every rich person is like, oh yeah, they own steel. They right. make all the steel, right? <laughs> steel and iron. They own the railroad, right? It's like all those kind of things where it's like, damn, they get in on the ground yeah. floor of like, all the. They shit. own all the coal in the country. That's yeah. how everything runs. And their great 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 grandchildren are still rich dicks today. Absolutely, and they're they didn't do jack shit. No, so they're like bums, right? Because it's like, oh my, yeah, my grandpa, my grandpa found steel, and he literally worked in the steel mines and became a billionaire probably back then. And now these kids are just like, I buy art, I buy Picassos. I'm twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I buy billion dollar paintings and I go party in WeHo. Like that's who they are, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's no hope. Look, there's. Well, we're going to talk about a lot of uh, the rich people on board next week. We're obviously going to talk about the collision. Oh, what? (laughs) She said it under her breath. We're going to... There's a lot more to get to. Okay, yeah. Clearly. I hope you enjoyed the first installment of this series. I did enjoy it. I didn't know a lot about how it was built, and I certainly did not know the menu. Well, that's a very important part of this. Um, yeah, I wonder what else they have, like other menus, because they had to plan that shit in advance, because they had to pack all the food. Yeah. It's like, it's like The Shining, where (laughs) where Dick Halloran is like, we got you. (laughs) He does that whole rattle where he's going through the fridge, the best scene in that movie. Right. Love it. I love that scene. So it's like, I imagine that's the same thing. They have this fridge and pantry full of fucking like sides of beef and like tons of food. Oh, I mean, it was... Exorbitant, yeah. Like the amount of stuff they had, yeah, on board, and the amount of stuff that was probably that sunk. Yeah, well, that's what people try to find. All no, those, but like, I mean, like the food. It's all gone. <laughs> we'll never get that food back. All that aspect. I would. <laughs> I would like. They, there are people who do these Titanic recreation dinners. Ooh, I'd go to one. I would totally go to one. I read somewhere that Alex Gornishelli co-hosted one recently. Who? From the Food Network. Oh, I don't know who that is. You do know who she okay, is. Okay, okay. She's really... Oh, okay, I know who she She's is. very... She's kind of sexy to me. Okay. Like, I feel like Alex Gornishelli fucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, she's someone... like you, she, she loves food. Yeah. I want to go to one of these I dinners. Do too. I think it would be really fun. Or I'd like to recreate um, some of these items. I would, but I would just love for someone to do it for me too. Of course. Because yeah. it's like, I don't want to make 10 courses. No. And I, I want the whole experience though. Yeah, that would be nice. It would be fun. And you can only do that for a lot of people. Right. That many courses. It's okay, just we, got, it. we got to find someone. Who's, okay. Who's or doing... go to one who's, yeah. Okay, I want to go. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, we'll, we'll see you all next week. Okay. We're going we're gonna to record our Patreon after show now. You can find that at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. It's at the $5 tier. Yeah. And we just put a new episode of our other podcast that we do that's a Patreon-exclusive podcast. Right. Called Mysteries and the Macabre. Yeah. It's that's, a good one. That's at the $10 level. Yeah. So find but those. But there's a lot of stuff up. Yeah. We have a ton of stuff up there. Find those on our Patreon. We will see you all on Friday. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.